Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And we're going to continue in our series called Mental this morning. We're on week seven. And last, uh, last time we were uh, speaking on this topic, we talked about having a sound mind. And we talked about, I, I wanted to talk about four elements that I believe are essential uh, and sort of markers of having a sound mind, biblically speaking. And the first was that a healthy mind knows that they are 100% accepted and loved by God. All right, so I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but you can go back and listen to it if you missed it. But the first and most important part of having a sound mind for any human is knowing where they stand with God. And part of that is knowing where they stand after this life is over. In other words, knowing what their judgment is going to look like and knowing what their eternity is going to look like. It's very difficult to have mental health, good mental health and a sound mind if you don't know where you stand at with God, if you're not confident in what judgment day is going to look like for you, if you're not confident what the afterlife is going to look like. So the baseline we're kind of setting is a healthy mind knows where they stand with God. They know that they are accepted and loved by God. And sometimes we've got to meditate on that from Scripture to, to believe that and keep our mind in the right place with that. The second one was we said <clears throat> a healthy mind is full of contentment and gratitude. So having that thankful heart, being grateful, being thankful. And one of the points that we made was really all thankfulness is is just the direction you fix your eyes okay if you if you are focused on the negative you're going to be unthankful if you're focused on the po and, and in any situation you can do that you can find the positive or you can find the negative and it's going to determine whether you're grateful or not so we're getting into number three today and uh before we before we get there i want to tell you a little story uh a few weeks ago maybe months at this point, I was at the Dallas airport. And, you know, I, I don't generally check bags. I, I like to just, you know, bring the carry-on. So I had a couple bags. I had my backpack. I had my regular roll-around suitcase. And, you know, we're going through the airport. And I'm getting, you know, have you seen those little walking paths in the airport that they just kind of move along and you can walk on them or you can not walk on them? So we're in that section and I'm I like to walk outside of it because I need the exercise anyway, so I'm walking outside of it. And up ahead, where the escalators are, I could see a little crowd of people gathering. And I'm like, what, what is going on up there? So <clears throat> I keep walking, and I can see there's a little crowd of people. And once I get up there, I realize what's going on is that the escalators are broken. And so now all we have are these this giant flight of stairs up, and the, the crowd is people trying to decide, what do we do? Because I've got all this luggage. And many people were not, <laughs> they did not show up to the airport that day physically fit enough to carry their, their big luggage up the flight of stairs. So then there was a little elevator off to the side. I think it would fit about two or three people. <laughs> and there was a large amount of people that were waiting on the elevator versus, you know, going up the, the stairs. And so a lot of people, of course, were choosing to carry their luggage up the stairs. And it, it was. It was a good little, good little flight. And as I was thinking about that in this sermon, 
you know, I, I was thinking about the world that we live in that it's, it seemed like at a certain point going in the right direction was like getting on an escalator. You know, if, if you wanted to live right, if you wanted to live more, I just mean in our culture, you know, there, God in a large part was a big part of every institution, part of our culture, part of our schools, part of our government. And if you wanted to go in the right direction, it was kind of like getting on an escalator and just, you know, you had to do a little work still, but generally everything was moving in that direction. And I just feel like at a certain point, the escalator broke. And now we're all kind of at the bottom with our, with our big luggage. And, and if we want to go forward and we want to go up, it, it's going to be a little bit of work. It's going to be a little bit of more work than we're used to. And I, fi- I think some people haven't figured out how to adjust. Now, you know, years ago before escalators were invented, you know, all of society had no problem walking upstairs and getting where they needed to get. And everybody was expecting that. But once you got used to the escalator, it's kind of disheartening when you see that it's broke, right? And I feel like that's where a lot of people in society are. It's like we, we want to go forward, we want to go up, but we're at the bottom of the stairs and the escalator's broke, and we're going, okay, now i got to decide what I'm going to do here. I want to get up there, but it just seems like it's going to be a lot more work than it was. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, if you hadn't already figured it out, yeah, it is going to be a lot more work. I mean, and we're talking about mental health, and having a sound mind, but I'm just going to say that's probably harder today in 2023 than it was maybe 10 years ago. It's probably more difficult today to get to that place than it was, you know, a decade or two ago. And the statistics show it, that anxiety, depression, stress, all of these markers are up, they are through the roof, especially in young people, especially in teenagers and young adults, they are the group that is vastly affected, but every group is affected. Every group is affected. And all I'm saying is the Bible has the answer, but it might be like going up those stairs. It might not be just like getting on an escalator and, oh, this is, this is simple. This, was, this is easy. You may have to put in just a little bit more work than you're used to. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where maybe you were at the airport or a big mall or something like that and you're supposed to go from one level to the next and there's two sets of escalators and and generally one's going up and one's going down but for some reason both of them are coming down you know you're like where's the one that's going up they're they're both going the wrong the wrong direction and it may be like that at a certain point not only is the escalator not working now it's only going in the wrong direction and if you want to go up it's like going against the escalator in the wrong direction and, it, and I think that from what Jesus tells us in Scripture, probably didn't come to church to hear this this morning, but I think it's only going to get worse. I don't think that this living, this Christian life and living healthy, living sound is going to get easier. It's always going to be doable because we have the, the power of God living in us. It's always going to be doable, but I don't think the circumstances that we're living in are going to get easier. And I say that from Scripture. I mean, when Jesus talks about what the end times are going to look like, it, everything seems to point that it's only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until the end, and then Jesus is going to return. Now, that may sound like doom and gloom, but I think the reason he told us that was because when you know what's coming, you can prepare. For example, had the people at the airport known 
like they had sent out a little text message or something telling us that the escalators were broken, well, we could have prepared. Maybe we'd have packed lighter. Maybe we'd have left that bag behind. Maybe we'd have got on the treadmill a few weeks before to practice, you know. You can prepare when you know what's coming. So I think that's why Jesus told us it wasn't so that we would just be depressed and hopeless. It was to go, well, if times are going to be hard, then we can prepare. And the reason why this series is so important is because what I've discovered about people is that if their mind gives out, if their mind gets tired, if they get burnt out mentally, there, there's almost nothing you can do because they, they just give up. And people can get mentally tired when it comes to their marriage. They get mentally tired when it comes to raising their kids. They get mentally exhausted when it comes to being a Christian. They can get mentally exhausted when it comes to just living life. And in all of those areas, they can tap out. But as believers, we've got to know we, it's our job to keep our mind healthy. And, and the Bible has given us all the tools that we need to do that. So we said, number one, it, it starts with our relationship with God. We've got to know where we stand with God. We've got to be confident in His love for us. But number two, we have to focus on being thankful and grateful. And every opportunity that we have to be ungrateful, we've got to choose to be thankful, realizing that it can always be worse. It can always be worse. So you focus on what the good is, and you choose to be thankful. And number three that we're going to talk about this morning is a healthy mind is not self-focused. A healthy mind is not self-focused. Self-focused. Because we were not designed to serve self. And really, self can become another God in your life. I would say self is the biggest competing God in your life, the biggest idol that Christians face is are you going to serve it's not are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Satan it's are you going to serve God or are you going to serve self that ends up being the biggest challenge for most people um, because there is this tendency in all of us to just live selfishly and self-centered but a healthy mind is not self-focused because when you become too self-focused and you live too much for yourself you, it only leads to emptiness it is not fulfilling. It's like eating empty calories. It doesn't fill you up. It doesn't fulfill you when you live for yourself. We've all discovered this at some point. So what is the alternative? Well, the Bible actually teaches us how we're supposed to live, and there's two parts to it. One is we are to live to please and serve God. There's a big difference between living to serve and please self and living to serve and please God. There's an enormous difference between those two things. So that's the first part. Within the Bible also teaches not only are we to live and serve God, but then we are to live to love and serve others, especially those that we've been given charge over. And I want to make that distinction because sometimes the Bible talks about loving our neighbor, and I think we get lost in that, like, oh, my God, we're, we're supposed to just love everyone and put everyone ahead of our own needs and our own self all the time. Well, I tell you what. Let's just start specifically with those that God's given us charge over. Like, for example, our spouse and our kids. Let's just start there. Maybe after we've got that one down, we can expand out to those in our church. Those that we've been given that are in our sphere of influence. 
that, that we're aware of. So I don't think you have to just love the whole world in that sense and serve the whole world and always put everybody's needs ahead of yours. But there are people in your life that you are specifically called to serve and sacrifice for. And actually those two things, when you serve God, love God, serve others, love others, you will actually find that you are walking in a sound and healthy mind because you are not created to serve self. I want to say this. Let's, let's talk specifically about uh, living for God, pleasing God, serving God. I think it's pretty unbelievable, really, that this is even a choice, that, that God created us in a way that we even have a choice to live for him or not. That always blows my mind when I think about God creating man and giving him the most powerful thing that I could ever think of, which is willpower and the power to choose anything that he wants. And right from the beginning, Adam and Eve used that power of choice to not only destroy their lives, but really all of ours. We, you know, we'll blame them and talk to them about that one day when we get there. I got a few words I'd like to say to them. But they used that power of choice not only to destroy their life, but really to destroy the planet. Because they allowed sin in through their one choice. The same thing happens in families, right? We can all think about generations and families and grandparents and great-grandparents and decisions that were made, choices they made that are still affecting your life and your kids' lives, and either good or bad. It's pretty amazing that God even gave us that choice, that he would create a being that could say, no, I don't want to live for you. No, I don't want to serve you. No, I don't want to follow you. As a matter of fact, I can make a choice to reject you completely and pretend like you don't even exist. I mean, it's pretty amazing that we even have that choice to begin with, but we all have that choice to live for God or not. And all of the admonitions in Scripture to live God, serve God, follow God, worship God, believe it or not, they're, they're all for your own good. They're all for our own good. You know, God's not saying, worship me because he demands it and he just needs your worship. He's saying, he is saying, this is how you're going to function and be the most healthy and at your best is by living for God and following his rules. So we have that choice, though. You do not have to, to live for God or serve God. Let's look at Matthew 16. I asked you to turn there. And kind of what I'm saying when I say that a, a sound mind has figured this out, that, you know, their life is to live and serve God, it's, it's almost like you've kind of figured out what life is really about. And I think there's a lot of people going through life, they haven't actually figured out what this life is really about. And I talk to Christians even all the time that you can tell by the way they talk, act, and by the choices and the fruit in their life, you can tell they think they still think that this life is about them. They, they still think this life is about their happiness, their contentment, you know, saving enough money, buying enough stuff, you know, just basically making my own choices. I got do, doing what I want with this life. Well, that's actually not the point of your life, and that's not where you're going to be the most fulfilled. Where you're going to be the most fulfilled is actually laying all of that down and choosing to live and serve God. And you lay it down first in your heart. It doesn't mean that you actually just go out and sell, you know, quit your job, sell, sell everything you own. No, not at, but, but you, in your heart, you lay those things down and you say, 
God, my life is, is yours. It's not my own. And I would do anything you asked me to do. If I did need to sell something to serve God, I would. If I did need to change jobs to serve you, I would. If you asked that of me. And so what you do is you replace you as master in your life and you put God in that proper place as master, Lord of your life. Jesus tried to explain this in Matthew 16. I don't know how many of us have really got it, but Matthew 16, 24, Jesus explained this to his disciples. And believe me, this is what he was talking about. This is what he was trying to explain. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. You see, this is the first thing. If you want to follow God, the very first thing you have to do is to deny self. Paul said, crucify self. The very first thing you have to do is kill self. Now, I need you to take that and put it, your name there. Okay, not, not just randomly, objectively deny self. But no, if, let's just say, if Josh wants to follow God, the very first thing he has to do is to deny Josh and put your name there. And the first thing Josh is going to have to do is to take up his cross, his own cross. In other words, it wasn't just Jesus that was going to carry the cross. You have a cross to carry. If you want to come after me, you got to start with number one, which is to deny yourself. And realize that following Christ is not a pleasure cruise. It's not uh, a journey of just, you know, all ups and blessing. No, actually, he says, you have a cross to carry. And, of course, what he, when he said this, what they would have thought about is the cross that he was going to be crucified on. He hadn't been crucified yet, but, they, but the crucifixion was very normal in their culture. They saw it all the time. So when he said, pick up your own cross, they knew what he was talking about. This was not a pleasant experience. He said, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your own cross and follow me. But then he tells you the secret. And see, this is, this is counterintuitive to what you would think would happen. But he says, Forever, for whoever wants to save or preserve his life actually has to lose it first. But whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find his life. And I encourage you to take some time and meditate on that. Because it's one of those things we, you've heard a hundred times, and so you can just skip over, and you can go, oh yeah, I know that, I memorized that in Sunday school as a kid. Yeah, but memorizing it doesn't mean that you're walking it, and it doesn't mean that it has any power for you, because you're not walking in this. What he is saying is that there is a reversal of how you think it would be. Most people would think if you want to experience true and, and good life, on this, in your time here on this earth, then you've got to fight. You've got to scrape. You've got to fight for self. You've got to fight for what's yours. You've got to push and fight your way to the top. You've got to save, scrap. You've got to do, you know, fight and push to get everything that's yours. Jesus said, that's not the way. And we've seen this play out a hundred times, maybe in our own lives, maybe in others' lives. We've seen this a hundred times, that you, you'll do all that, and you'll get there, and you'll have it all. You'll have the money. You'll have the success. You'll have the stuff. You'll have gotten everything that you need, and you still won't have true life. You'll be empty. You won't have true life. 
And that's what he's trying to explain. He says, look, whoever actually wants to save his life, you've got to lose it first. You've got to lay it down and sacrifice it for God first. And whoever, lose, whoever does that, whoever lays it down and loses his life for my sake, he said, that's, he's going to find He's going to find true life. So I hope, I, hope, I hope we've got that. I hope we understand that. I, don't, I think we're probably all at different levels, you know, in here this morning. Some, some have fully done that. Some are thinking about it. Some are contemplating it. But you've got to trust God in this, that the true life and satisfaction that you're looking for is going to come by laying down your life and sacrificing it for God. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And we, again, we could put in his name. Paul, the old Paul, has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Paul who lives, but Christ who lives in and through me. In other words, I've yielded myself to God to the point where Paul is not the, the main thing. Paul's not in charge. Christ is living his life through me. And the life that I, Paul, now live in this flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, from Paul's standpoint, and you see this in his writings, but from Paul's standpoint, his greatest, um, the greatest thing that he contemplates when making a decision is not what does Paul want. The, the greatest thing that he thinks about when he's trying to make a choice is not how does Paul feel about this? What are Paul's feelings? In other words, or what do I want to do? What really matters to me? That's the separation between somebody who's living for self and somebody who's living for God. When you go to make a major decision, what you want doesn't even factor in when you've laid it down. Now remember, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about having mental health and true satisfaction in life. But it doesn't come from, <clears throat> it doesn't come from living and serving self. So what Paul is trying to say in this passage is, when I need to make a choice in my life of, am I going to stay here? Am I going to go there? Am I going to sacrifice this? It's never what do I want to do because, that, because I have been crucified with Christ. The, the question is not what do I want to do. The question is what is God asking me to do? Because my position is as a servant and as a slave of Christ. And this life is not about me getting every little thing that I want or achieving ultimate happiness. That's not what this life is about. This life is about serving God and fulfilling His purposes. And then, when you fulfill that tour of duty, you go home to eternity to be with God where you get the rewards for that. But we need a mental switch about what this life is about. And it's hard for us to comprehend this, but that's actually, living life that way is actually where true satisfaction comes from and true mental health and a true sound mind comes from living a life that's been crucified with Christ. So why does this specifically lead this why does this specifically lead to a healthy mind? Okay, if we were to if we were to analyze this say outside of the Bible, I understand we could look at it from a biblical perspective easily, but 
Let's look at it, let's look at it outside of the Bible. Why would this lead to a healthy mind and good mental health? Well, I heard one psychologist say recently uh, in a podcast I was listening to, and I don't, I don't even know if this person is a believer or not, but he made this statement. <clears throat> he said, about 80% of all happiness that a person ever experiences in their life comes from having a clear purpose. And I, I just thought about that. I kept thinking about that over and over. Because again, I don't even know if he's a believer or not, but he, he said about 80% of all happiness that any human being experiences in their life comes from having a clear purpose. In other words, knowing what I'm supposed to be doing and knowing that, that, that what I'm supposed to be doing actually matters in some greater way and spending my time moving towards that purpose. If you've ever lost your purpose... As a matter of fact, if you ever find somebody who is greatly depressed, you'll probably find someone who's lost their purpose. They don't, and they say that a lot. I just don't know what the point is anymore. I don't know what the point is. I don't know what the point of living is. I, I don't know the purpose of it. So it makes sense then that the way God has designed us, that all these other things we go after, when we get to the end of them, we eventually find out they're not worth living for. In other words, they're not a real purpose that we should be pursuing. And the reason why serving and living for God brings so much satisfaction and happiness when it comes to purpose is because that is the only true purpose that is worth living for and sacrificing when you really stop and think about the meaning of life. When you, when you really stop and examine this life and what is the purpose. See, and, and this is why when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which Solomon wrote when he was at a very depressive point in his life because he turned his back on God, and you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you see this like depressive person just talking and he's constantly asking, he's like, it's all meaningless. You just see that phrase over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's, it's just all meaningless. You get up, one man gets up, he works, he saves. Works, saves, works, saves. He said, and then everything he worked to save for just goes to another, per another person. What is the point of life? And he's just like lost, he's lost the purpose. What is the, what is the point? But you, when you find somebody that is very healthy in their mind and in their outlook on life, and they have a sound mind, it's because they have understood what we're talking about this morning. They have a clear purpose. They understand their place and role in the kingdom of God what God is asking them to do, and they're, they're functioning in that and moving that and fulfilling that and contributing to that. And this is why every person, if you're going to find out the will of God for your life, you've got to start with what is the general will of God for every person's life. You know, it, you know it, it's important for each person to find out why did you put me specifically here on this planet. But every person, every Christian can start with, well, why did he put everyone here? And that, that purpose, as Christians, we all have one similar calling and purpose, which is to reach people for the kingdom of God, to be ambassadors for Christ, to reconcile people to God. There's no greater purpose in this life. So this is why if we're going to have a sound mind, the first thing, uh, the kind of the label that we're putting all of this under is a healthy mind is not self-focused, but then there's two parts to that. One is, uh, 
we, are, we live to serve and please God. But then the second part of not being self-focused is that we love, we live to love and serve those who we've been given charge over. So living for pleasure and serving self only leads to emptiness. But we were designed by God to sacrificially give and serve others. Now it doesn't mean that you never take time for yourself. As a matter of fact, it is important that you focus on self to be healthy so that you can serve others. Because it, it, sometimes if you just neglect self you get to a place where you're burnt out and you, you're not good to anybody. So no, there's a, there's a place for that. But again, understanding our main purpose is to serve God and serve others. You know, sometimes people know that there's something wrong in their life, but they cannot pinpoint what it is. And I think that's why what we're talking about this morning is so crucial. And, and I want you to kind of ask yourself that question this morning because... Sometimes people know there's this nagging thing. I, they know something's not right. I, why, I should be happy. If I look around, I've got everything. Things could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. And, and no matter how you know, much I get and how much I cheat, I just something's wrong. I, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And I want to be happy, but they can't pinpoint what it is. And they're, they're looking for it. They're looking for it. And they're looking for it. And they're, and they're trying to pinpoint it. You know, I remember this happened a few years ago. Y'all remember when the, uh, the we had, well, we had a couple of fr freezes that came through, real, real cold. Some of my plants died, you know, people's pipes busted, things like that. Well, it was right, right about that time, there was one of the freezes that had come through, and I was at my house, and I think my father-in-law was over at my house, and I remember my wife was there, and... I don't remember why everybody was there, but we were all there, and I, and I started hearing uh, running water. And I'm like, okay, a pipe, pipe must have busted, you know, from the cold, and I, and I can hear this running water. And, it, and it, you could tell it's not like a little trickle. It's, it's gushing. And so I, I, my father-in-law's there. I asked him to listen. My wife is there. We're all listening. We all hear it. Yeah, where is it? And we're looking everywhere. We look all in the house. We look all under the house. We look all around the house. Everywhere we look, we cannot pinpoint where, the, where, this, where this water is coming from. And the weird thing that was happening was, you know, Bill, my father-in-law, Bill, would, would walk off and he would say, I don't hear it anymore. And I would say, no, I, I still hear it, Bill. It's, what are you talking about? I still hear it. No, I, it's loud. And he'd come back around, oh, yeah, yeah, I still hear it. I still hear it. And we're just everywhere looking, trying to figure it out. And I don't know how long this went on. It felt like it went on about 20 minutes. And I'm freaking out. We're, in, we're losing our minds, trying to pinpoint the, the source of this. And finally, I realized it was coming from my phone. <laughs> and I had, I had this, like, nature sound track on my phone, and it was a rushing river. <laughs> and it was in my back pocket. And so everywhere we walked, I'm like, yeah, we hear it. Where is it? And then they'd walk off and they go, we don't hear it anymore. I'm like, no, I still hear it. It's, it's still there. And then we would keep looking. I swear it went on for 20 minutes. And then we finally pinpointed the, the problem. And the problem was me. 
And how many times is this the issue? Okay, with what we're talking about, mental health, right? And people trying to figure out what is wrong? Why can't I feel that happiness? Why can't I this? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's my job. And then they go down that track and they, and they oh, that's my boss. And they get rid of the boss and they get a new one and then you still feel the same. And then you switch jobs and you go, well, it's my, well maybe it's my marriage. Maybe it's my kids. Maybe it's my church. Maybe it's God. And you're just always trying to figure out what the problem is. Can I just tell you? It's probably you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not any of those things because the reality is all of those things could change. And if we don't get this right, you're still going to find yourself being unhappy. Because none of those things can make you happy. A person that has these two things right. A person who has found their purpose in serving and living God and serving and loving others. Specifically the ones they've been called to take charge of. Okay, don't even focus on loving the world right now. Just focus on loving and serving your spouse and your children, your family, your church, people that God's called you to. Just the one God's given you charge over. If you get those two things right, I promise you, you may not can see from where you're at how that will make sense, but it's what Jesus said. He said, I promise you, if you lose your life for me, you're going to find true life. And the word that he uses there for life is zoe life. It is the true God kind of life, the life that comes straight from God. He said, when a person loses their natural life, they're going to find the zoe life of God. So, yeah, I tell you that story because uh, it, it, I never forgot it because it makes me think about how many times we're looking for the problem, looking for the problem, looking for the problem, and it's out here somewhere. No, it's just right here, right in your back pocket. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So now he's talking about motives. See, motives matter. And when, he, when it comes to serving others, did you know you could do that with the wrong motive? You, you, could, you, could, you ever seen somebody with like the martyr complex where everything they do, they've got to like let everybody know about it. And that's kind of actually what they're getting out of it is, oh, look at me. I'm, look how much I sacrifice. I'm the martyr here. I'll look at all that I do. Well, they're not really doing it because they love people, they're doing it out of selfish ambition. They're doing it out of what they get out of it. So he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, look at this, count others as more significant than yourselves. Okay, I swear this scripture right here would solve 95% of all marriage problems that exist. This one scripture. If we just got up every day and read this, do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. If you just did that one thing, look, people wrote whole, whole books, seven steps to peace in the marriage, you know. People spend thousands of dollars to go to counseling. Look, just read Philippians 2. That's all you, just get up and read that every day. That would solve maybe 100%. I said 95 because I wanted to leave a little window. But I, that, that just would solve just about every marriage problem that's ever existed. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind. Everybody say mind. mind. 
have this mind in you. Talking about mental health. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So he says Jesus is our example in this, in this idea of serving others and loving others. And he, and he makes it pretty simple as far as how to do it, but actually walking it out is much harder because we're always battling selfishness and battling the flesh. But the, the actual steps of it is pretty easy. He says, number one, the first thing you got to do is you just have to count others as more significant than yourself. And you see, that's a belief. That's a belief issue. That's a heart issue. You have to actually believe that this person is more valuable than me. If, if we just went to marriage, for example, you have to believe. You, you could even say it like this. Your needs come before mine. Your desires come before mine. And when you have two believers that are both doing that, that's when you have marriage peace. I understand it doesn't work very well if only one person is doing that. But when you have two Christians that both believe this and follow this, that's where true marital satisfaction comes from. But we're not talking about marriage this morning. But in relationships in general, he doesn't just apply this to marriage. He says you have to count others as more significant than yourselves. And you're not to only look after your own interests, but the interests of others. You're saying I've got to care about what's going on in the lives of other people around me as if they were my own issues? Yeah, that's what he says. You have to care not only about your own interests, but in others. But, but listen, this is where you find true life. And, and if we haven't been doing this, if, if you haven't been living like this, and you're living selfishly, I would ask you this question. Are you really finding that true joy and satisfaction anyway? That that's supposed to bring you. Living for self, serving self. Is it really bringing you that, that joy and that satisfaction that, that you're actually looking for? But true joy is found in serving God and serving others. This is why Jesus said in the Gospels, He said it's actually more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus said that out of his own mouth. Matthew 7, 12. Here was another one Jesus said. They call this the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So again, this is backwards. This is so backwards. See, it doesn't say whatever you wish would happen in your life, go do it for yourself. It, it doesn't say whatever you want in life, just go out and get it. It says, whatever you wish that would happen to you, whatever you wish that others would do for you, you go do that for them. In other words, you serve others, and then what will happen is God will make sure that that law of sowing and reaping is working, and then that, that thing will come in your life. But it'll be different because you didn't bring it. God brought it as a result of you sowing it into other people's lives. And he said in doing this, you actually fulfill the whole law and all the prophets by doing this one thing, which is whatever you wish others would do to you, go and do also to them. And so you say, well, is it really that simple? Well, I think that it's a part of 
what we're talking about with mental health. It's not the only part. We talked about a few others, and I'm going to give you a total of four, uh, but I've given you three. One is putting God first and, and knowing where you stand with Him, that you're 100% accepted by God. Number two is living grateful, being content, choosing gratefulness and contentment. Number three is loving and serving God and loving and serving others. And number four, we're going to get in specifically how to deal with stress and anxiety from a biblical, from a biblical standpoint. We're going to get into that. That'll be the last one in the mental series. Let's stand on our feet this morning.